Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. I'm broadcasting from a room. I'm not at home. I'm not in my garage. I'm out in the world. I'm out in the Midwest. Am I in the Midwest? Is Madison, Wisconsin the Midwest? Is that the definition of Midwest? I believe so. How's it going with you? Let me, uh, let me, let me promote this podcast, if I may. Today... I'm going to talk to Trombone Shorty, all right? His name is Troy Andrews, but as you can tell by the stage name, he's a master trombone player and also plays trumpet, drums, organ, tuba. He's been playing in concert at Jazz Fest in New Orleans since he was like four years old, and he started touring with Lenny Kravitz right out of high school. He's been on The Simpsons and Sesame Street and is one of the highest profile ambassadors of New Orleans music, and he's got a new album out called Lifted, and it's very good. I can't. I, it was weird listening to it because I remember it kind of struck a a, a a note in me, a chord in me, the horn chord. Because I remember it's it really is sort of a a rock record. But I remember when I was a kid, there was there were big horns, there were big horn rock bands, Chicago, Ohio Players, uh, Average White Band, Tower of Power. There were big horn bands that were yeah, they were R and B to a degree or maybe soul, but it definitely crossed over into rock. But I just, I it it reminded me of that I had not heard in my in recent days, the uh, the horn section on on what's basically well it's it's a mix of stuff but it's a lot of it's rock, rock horns baby, but uh, yeah I got to talk to uh, to Troy about uh, that music that source the the well the eternal well of uh, of music that is. Uh, New Orleans. It was, it was exciting. It was a lot of stuff I didn't know. So that's going to happen. That's going to happen for you shortly. Tonight, I'm in Milwaukee at the Turner Hall Ballroom. Tomorrow, I'm in Chicago at the Vic Theater. And Saturday, I'm in Minneapolis at the Pantages. Also, another thing, I'm, I'm most likely postponing, trying to postpone or, or shift my Dynasty typewriter dates because I've been offered a role, uh, uh, you know, a, a part on uh, Reservation Dogs which uh, is a show that I think is brilliant and exciting, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of it. I don't generally ever cancel stuff, but uh, fortunately it was a hometown series of gigs that can be, you, know, you can see me in LA almost any time, but uh, I will try to reschedule those for you. In a couple of weeks, I'll be in Pittsburgh at the Carnegie of Homestead on May 12th, 
Cleveland, Ohio at the Mimi Ohio Theater on May 13th. Royal Oak, Michigan at the Music Theater May 14th. Washington, D.C. at the Kennedy Center on May 20th. Red Bank, New Jersey at the Count Basie Center on May 21st. And Philly at the Keswick Theater on May 22nd. There's some more dates coming in the future, but those seem to be enough. You can go to WTFPod.com slash tour for ticket links and other info. All right? Is, is that all good? Is everything all right? Now, if I could just stop worrying for a few minutes. I landed in Chicago. Not a great drive, Chicago to Madison. Nothing that appealing about it. But I am happy to be here. Had lunch with my buddy Ben Sidron, the jazz pianist and jazz author. We talked about, uh, we talked about the stuff. He's a bit older than me. Talked about mortality. We talked about horn players. We talked about uh, uh, Steve Miller, who he was in a band with in college. Uh, he corrected some things. Corrected is a nice word. I would say that <laughs> it just it came up kind of organically. But he was like, "Yeah, that Steve Miller interview." I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Yeah, maybe I'd tell you a couple things." So that was nice. You know, it's nice is to know that resentment springs eternal. You know, if someone fucks you, you're going to remember it. That's 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 one thing I've learned from myself and talking to other people. No matter how much peace of mind you have or no matter how much you've let go, if somebody screws you a certain way, uh, it'll stick and it'll stick there for the lifetime. And it's not it's not always right up front, but you know, it ain't far. You don't have to dig too deep for it. People who have been divorced know about this. People who have been uh, fucked over financially. Yeah, it's one as my dad's mind uh, sort of disintegrates i guarantee you the last thing to go is going to be some version of fuck that guy that that i i have to wonder how many people's last words are like you remember that dude that did that thing fuck him resentment springs eternal depending on what the injury is you know trauma i think if it happens young enough will sort of you'll mold your whole personality around trauma but when someone fucks you, it's just, it's right there. It's like, a, it's like, a, you know, it, you know, the, those, those weird flames that, that just never go out. Uh, you see in the night at those, whatever those factories are like, why is that fire still on? Oh, uh, that is, he's mad at somebody and it's never going to go away because they're never going to pay and there's nothing you can do about it, but just watch it. Just watch it. You can turn it up or you can turn it down, but the flame is eternal. Fuck that guy. I got one of those, maybe two of them, I think. Actually, it's more, there's nothing I can do about it. Here's the other problem I have. I've just stopped the, and this has happened before. This is just some element of anxiety. I don't know if you have it. And I'm driving, man. I'm driving down the highway, so I have time for this. I have time to think about it. I, I'd like to think I'm, I'm, reworking, uh, I'm reworking stuff. And I'm, and I'm going way back. I'm, I'm going all, I'm, I'm almost doing some version of, of uh, uh, mobile EMDR on myself. Where since I have time, I've got the highway spread out in front of me. I got the car. And I've always thought that driving is meditative because you can, what's interesting about it is you, some part of you stays grounded as you sort of go off into the life of, you know, I guess it's really not meditating because it's something, it's processing. You can process in the car. You know, if you turn the car off, there's still some part of you has to drive the car so you're connected. And there's something about that. It's almost something like, uh, it's something like the EMDR thing in my mind. Because with the EMDR treatment, 
you know, you have these buzzers that, you know, kind of get you into a different place. So you kind of, I, I don't know, they can go into some part of your mind. The motor part of your mind gets sort of distracted with the buzzers. Um, but I think that the car serves that purpose. And I'm just making this up. So I'm going over past points in my life that I thought were horrendously embarrassing, painful, or, ter- or terribly traumatic. That's sort of how I spend my time sometimes in the car, working through that stuff. And then kind of following the thought process and trying to figure out whether or not... I still have sort of unprocessed feelings about those things. And that's how I spend time in the car. And then whatever time that I don't, I'm not doing that. I kind of, uh, you know, listen to music or I worry about things that haven't happened. So it's great. You know, the car is just great to be like, all right, what am I going to do? I'm going to, how about listen to some talking heads, process some very painful stuff from childhood. And then think about, you know, one of my cats dying while I'm not home great what a fun ride and then maybe we'll get some coffee so we can really sort of turn the heat up on that process fuck me jesus christ but i like it man once i get out once i converge on the point and uh i'm, I'm happy to say that i'm i'm a, a little lighter and my heart is a little lighter because uh on the road from uh from chicago to madison i pr- i processed a, a nice chunk of childhood trauma with my um mobile version of emdr locked into the the engagement with the car i was free my mind to uh sort of stop and start the process of making connections of feelings and getting my myself into the place of the trauma moving through it with the help of knowing that i'm grounded by driving the car and then uh and then sort of like feeling the feels and uh yeah and then I got here and I had lunch. It, it was it, it was a lot of processing. I worked up a I worked up a, a nice uh, appetite. Had some had some sweet potato hash with a couple poached eggs and a biscuit, and uh, ate some of Ben's potatoes as we talked about the weight of consciousness. <laughs> Good morning. I don't know when you're listening to this, but how about uh, why don't we talk to Trombone Shorty? His new album Lifted is available tomorrow. April 29th, wherever you get your music, and those horns will lift you. Jesus Christ, I should listen to it now. Jazz helps, man. Music helps. It seriously helps. I don't know why, but I've listened to Talking Heads' Fear of Music almost daily for weeks. What is it about that record? There's some, it's speaking to something of the time. Give it a listen. There's something, there's something relevant to it. Outside of Life During Wartime, which is the time, I don't know. I just can't stop. I know it's a great record, but out of nowhere, that's the one that, I, that I'm spinning constantly. Anyways, Trombone Shorty, uh, brilliant musician, brilliant. Uh, I mean, horns, man. That horns, that's where it's at. That'll lift you up. And this is me talking to him back in the garage. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say 
essay in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. It's great to meet you, man. Great to meet you too, Mark. It's interesting because do people call you Troy? Yeah, Troy... Shorty, trombone. Shorty. Trump, some guy by my dad, I would just say, hey, Mr. Trump. I was like, Mr. what? Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Trump? Trump, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it's weird because when you were brought to my attention, I, I, I'd heard of you, but I didn't know the music. And then I, uh, to specifically, and then like I, I thought like a trombone guy, well, I want to talk to a trombone guy. Right, right, right. Because right. uh, I was in a jazz, right? Right, right. And I just had this weird... Uh, breakthrough and this is usually how it works with me when I, before I talk to somebody because I listen to a lot of Bob I listen to hard Bob okay, I, you know, okay. I, I'm, I'm no scholar right, you know right. uh, but you know I pick up what I can I have a lot of records yeah and uh, and I started realizing after listening to your stuff and listening to specifically people who are who are honest to New Orleans jazz yeah 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 that what evolved out of that, which is everything, everything that's right. But New Orleans jazz as as a form is is inclusive, inclusive. That's right, right. That's but right. once you get to Bop, it's sort of like, what are they trying to do? Get rid of me? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Because when you really think about jazz as a culture in the fifties, what it became, mm. you know, in New York and L.A. or whatever, with with the, that crew of Bop guys, you know, you really had to be you know, in the in crowd or have a mindset to take that stuff in. Yeah, you had to do that. Right. And, but with what you do and what you come from, it's like everybody's welcome as clear from the first note. From the first note, that's <laughs> right. It's it's a, a New Orleans, we never forgot that music is dance music, you know. It's yeah. a celebratory thing to us. So yeah. We, like you say, it's everything. So right. We, we, we play uh, when I went to school in New uh -huh. Orleans, the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts, yeah, they were teaching us the bop stuff and all that. But I didn't learn anything about New Orleans music there. But me coming from the neighborhood that I came from to where we got drums and tubas and beer bottles and right. stop signs right. or whatever we can jam on, it was very difficult for me to see when we started to play this other music in school yeah. that no one were reacting. I, I, I was born into people dancing. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. an interesting thing because you did go, you had to kind of backload that stuff, yeah. right? That wasn't what you were listening to. No, You no. were listening to everything that you were coming up from. And, and I want to go, I want to talk about the early stuff, but I do want to say before you know i listen to the new record i listen to all the records but i mean am i wrong in thinking that you know this is the one where it really came together for you uh this I, record i try to do that for every one of them but, but i it, think it, i think you might you know i think we went in the studio with the mindset of let's let's play like we're on the stage but let's yeah. make sure it's tight right and, because and, like i felt that the vision of the record and the consistency of it and the amount that you put the trombone forward mm -hmm. i mean you do because that's what you do yes. but in this one you're like it's time for my lead yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> i know? was thinking more of a you know how a lenny kravitz would take right. a rock so right that's what that's where my mind was because you can feel that like you in the other that. records you're blending a lot of stuff yep, you know yep. yeah, there's a lot of different uh 
kind of styles going on. But yep, in this yep. one, it, like it's a, there's a consistency. There you go. Yeah. Right to That's the right. to the way you laid the record out, and then like there's definitely a point where because you wonder about that with with a trombone in general. So like it feels like a support instrument. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that's what it is. Some most of the time, but in New Orleans, it, it still is a support instrument because uh-huh. you have someone like. Uh, most trumpet players have a sidekick trombone player. Right, okay, you yeah. Know, Louis Armstrong. Yeah. He had that. He had a guy? Yeah, he had a Who guy. Who was his guy? Uh, they had uh, Tyreek Glenn. Uh-huh. Uh, he did some stuff with a guy, Trummy Young. Uh-huh. There's a bunch of trombone players, but normally out of that whole thing, the trombone is the side man. So it's almost like it, it keeps a bass almost. It, it yeah, does, it, 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 it tailgates around and just play around a melody that the trumpet players Right, singing. so the trumpet's like, beep, 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 and you went, boom, boom. Yeah, Yeah, you're just tap dancing right around it Uh uh, and hitting at the melody every once in a while. So when you tell me about that, um, because like, again, I'm an appreciator of music, but I'm limited Mm -hmm. uh, in in what I know, you know, what I know about, you know, New Orleans music and and, like, I I know Zydeco a bit. I know Dr. John. I know the meters. I know Alan Toussaint. Neville Brothers. Neville Brothers a a bit. And I, you know, I know the people. Mm -hmm. Professor Longhair. Oh, yeah. You're not, you're you're deep now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That stuff's great. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but like, I don't know about the, the history of that, of the neighborhood of Treme and what, you know, what it means to grow up there. You know, like, I, I mean, I can see it on TV or I can get a sense, but I have to assume that that community, like it, it feels like not only is it tight as a community spiritually and, and, and just as a neighborhood, but that the music was everywhere all the time. Absolutely. And that's true? That's very true. Uh, I grew up there and I remember being a kid walking yeah. to elementary school. Right. I went to school in the French Quarter, which there's one block that separates uh, the French Quarter and the Tremaine. Yeah. That's Rampart Street. Yeah. So I, I, the French Quarter is only about three, four blocks from the Treme, yeah, where yeah. I lived. And I remember going to, uh, walking to school and there would be a, a funeral, second line jazz procession. That's what well, it's called? Yeah, yeah. Second uh, line? Second line, yeah, yeah. Where people are dancing in the streets and we sit yeah. about it. And I would be going there and I'll see that. And then when I'm coming back home, there's someone celebrating the birthday. Right. And then the backyard playing. Yeah. And then my family, we had the Rebirth Brass Band and the Dirty Dozen. Rebirth? Rebirth Brass Band. I remember the Dirty Dozen Brass Band. Dirty Dozen. So they come after Dirty Dozen. Okay. And uh, they were very influenced by them. And it was always music. And so my band, my cousins and family members, we'll get home, do our homework. Yeah. And then we'll start practicing and bothering the older musicians. And then we... What was that? So... Like it was just an assumed thing that you were going to be a musician. I mean, could be, you know, like it was just that's what happens. That's or? what I mean. Most people, uh, there's a lot of musical families, so I never had a choice. But I think when I was born, <laughs> I, they gave me some drumsticks or something like that. You, so how far back does the music go in your family? I know there's a popular accent that I, I don't know, but who are they? Like what's a what's my your family? Uh, my well, it all started with my grandfather, who's Jesse Hill. Okay, and he made a song back in the '60s, "Ooh Poopa Doo." Yeah. And he was, uh, it was, it was a big song back in those days. And when you could write a song and call it that, yeah, call it that, <laughs> Oopoopa do. Yeah, and it was, it, I guess, it was a big song during those times. I think uh, Tina Turner covered it. A few other people covered it. So, but that was before me, of course. Yeah. And then on his, did you side know him? him? Yeah, yeah, I knew him, but he was much older by the time. He wasn't right. really active by right. the time I was starting to go. But he would come over to rehearsal and and try to tell us some things when we were trying to get it together. So that was a pop song. 
That was a pop song. Yeah, so it was, it was by, a big song. Right. By the time he's going at it, they're trying to, they're taking it. Like, that's the interesting thing about New Orleans and that whole world is that all American music, most of it comes from there. Yeah. yeah you know, right. and, and if it doesn't, it eventually mixes with that. That's right. And, and, and it comes from, you know, it mixes with country, becomes something. That's right. That's right. So, like, at that point, he must have been pretty close to the source and just figured out how to make the groove into a pop song. Yeah. Like Fats Domino. Like Fats Domino, yeah. So my my uh my grandmother's brother was Walter Nelson. He was Fats Domino guitar. Oh really? Guitars, yeah. <laughs> but that was before my time. So, I know, but yeah. you must have did you grow up with the records? I grew up with the records, yeah. Still today I still listen to them and they always say, Oh, you gotta listen to this particular song and this and that and so it the music lives in the whole family and we listen we grew up on Ray Charles, my grandmother yeah. loved that and Fats Domino, of course, Dr. John was like an uncle to me. You knew him? I knew him very well. I grew up underneath him and he would come over by my grandmother's house and hang out and eat gumbo and red beans and I would play with him on the road, do some really? things. Yeah, he was like a real family member to us. John, Mac Revenant. Mac, Mac, right, yep, Mac Revenant. Yeah, because like he's another guy where, you know, I, I kind of got, I, I sort of locked in and I got all the old records. I had, I had, Dr. John's Gumbo, Gumbo which is yeah. a relatively hard record to find, which is weird because it's a later record and it's him, That's right. it's him covering yep. a lot of stuff. Like he yep. does Ico Ico, he does, I think, Tipitina. Tipitina and Big Chief. And, yeah. yeah. And it's a great record. Yeah. But those old ones where he's sort of like taking it out there, mm. right, with Night Tripper and mm. uh, the first three records. Yep. Um, I can't remember the names of them, where he's, because you listen to it, and he's like, he's fusing that time, you know, drugs, the 60s, whatever trip he's on. And he's like elevating that New Orleans thing into a psychedelic shit show. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And, 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 but it is still fundamentally. Uh, New Orleans music, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you hear the dirt underneath it. You got the big dirt and the, the street sounds and the everything. You do that on the, the new record a lot. There's yeah, always yeah. guys talking. There's, yeah, you make yeah. sure that every song, it's like, what are we doing this? What are we, you know, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. You Is know, that, that's just what we do. That's We're a part of it? Think, that's a part of it, you know, because if you think about the second line culture where I'm from, where I grew up in, there's thousands of people around you speaking. The band is in the middle, but everybody's dancing and having conversations about what, where they're going next or what, what song they want to hear the band play. And we just hear a lot of chatter while we're talk while we're playing in the streets. Yeah. So I wanted to capture some of that yeah. on this record and get that atmosphere going. And and what did, what does second line mean exactly? Where does that come from? Well, at first it comes from they had the, uh, the funeral procession, right? And then oh the regular the sad one yeah the sad one okay there'll be the band and right. the coffin and then the second line is normally people that that join in from the neighborhood oh okay I see I see okay like so the because the first time I saw the a New Orleans funeral procession was in a James Bond movie oh yeah yeah like I think it was Diamonds and Fr I can't remember which one it was I re I saw that I remember think. they killed the guy in the street right. and then they they wrote they, the coffin yeah, on yeah, and they, they pulled him up and I then, think that was the, right. yeah, I think that was either the uh, the Olympia Brass Band that was in that. Oh, one. really? I think so. Well, I think it was. Was it Diamonds Are Forever? It was a Roger Moore, James Bond, and it had to do. And I know, like, there was a lot of like, you know, kind of probably slightly racist voodoo stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that happens too. Yeah, yeah but uh, but I, I I that's the first time I I I put together that there was this culture. Yeah, yeah. That that was celebratory. I mean, right, I mean, celebratory. Well, I mean, even in, 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 I think in some of the language that you've been quoted in talking about your, your mother's passing, which I'm sorry. Yeah. 
uh, you said she a transition, right? Is yeah, that what you yeah. said? It's a transition. She's gone and uh, to a better place. But yeah. we all it's always a celebratory transition in New Orleans. Like it's very, of course, people will cry in New Orleans, but right. then we turn it around really quickly. Yeah. So you we might start with a dirge, right? And you'll see everybody falling out because that that's yeah. emotional and then. Right. The drum kick off, and now it's a big celebratory second line thing. Sending them off. We're sending them off, yeah. Huh. That's what we do, and we got a part where we uh, doing a procession, the the carriage uh-huh. with the with the uh, coffin in it. We'll, we'll separate half of the band, some of them on this side, some of them on the left, some of them yeah. on the right, and we call that cutting them loose. Right. That's when you send them, that's the final thing. Yeah. But it's you know, but the second line is dealing with the funeral, but it, it's a different thing. So we have the associate and pleasure clubs that parade every Sunday, uh-huh. and that's a different thing. That's not a sad. Uh, okay, thing. okay, it's just it's just New Orleans culture, right? Yeah, but but it does like uh, like, but your first memories of it are around funerals, I guess. Uh, or both, no, both of them, right? Uh, most of it happened in my house and in my backyard with my brother James Andrews and his band. What's he play? He plays the trumpet. Yeah. Yeah, he comes You can from, play trumpet too, right? Yeah, yeah, I play trumpet too. On on my show, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, both of them. Uh trombone and trumpet, but so that it happened in my house and then I think I got introduced to the funeral just going out there playing right. inside of him. I guess I guess the connection I'm trying to make is that there there it just seems like this is the way emotions are expressed relieved or or entertained like the, the the language of music is directly related to life in a very immediate sense absolutely it's very spiritual yeah you know when you go into Treme or in new orleans and you see uh people you we can be having a second line parade down the street yeah. and you'll see somebody come out of their house they were just fixing supper or something and they'll come out banging <laughs> on the top of their pot and just start to dance and leave the house and forget yeah, and just join in. That's and, how emotional it is, and that's real life. That's real life. That's every day. I mean, because like you know, you think like I think I saw that in a movie, but you're telling me that's real life. That's real life. That's what I see, and that's and what it's I was not a for. Part a, of. It's it's a community thing. You're not putting on a show for anybody. It's not a, no, we're not putting on a show. You know, some people may hire the band to play for their sure, birthday sure, party. but I mean, generally speaking, yeah, no, it's it's just for the community, and and we go out there and we play. It's, it's, you know, if you if some cameras are there, cool. If not, we still do what we right, do. Right, right. But it's not yeah. a tourist attraction. No, it's no, not, no. This is pre-existed all that. That's right. Pre-existed all that. We do it every day. I kind of feel forever. like, you know, like after a certain point, like you think of the French Quarter and you think, I've only been there a few times. You know, like, you know, I got the powdered donut and the coffee. <laughs> the beignet, <but>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're making me hungry now. <laughs> but, but, you know, there is a, an intrinsic tourist culture to that city at this point, right? But it seems like when I was there, you cannot, nothing's going to turn out uh, New Orleans. You, you know, you, like it's like you, there's plenty of tourists yeah, there, yeah. but you're still sort of like, we're just visiting. You, right, you know, right, right, not, right. And you don't feel like it's like being, uh, you're, they're putting, yeah, uh, the city's putting on a show. That city has got some vibe to it yeah. where you're like, uh, if you stay there too long, you're just going to be absorbed by it. That's what happens to I know, I see people. Yeah, they, they come down and yeah. they, they end up moving there for some reason. It's magical. But like it is said, magical. I always tell the people, go hang out in the French Quarter, get that out the way. Even right. though it's a tourist attraction, it's, it's still real, you know. Right. We just there. So right. I said, go hang out in the French Quarter and call me after that. Then yeah. we'll get into the other stuff. Because like I know that there's a balance there, too, to that energy, that there is a magic to it, but there is a darkness to it. Yeah, there's yeah. a weight to that place. Absolutely. I, I can't, I don't know what it is, but, you know, you, you, I, I imagine that, 
you know, growing up there and dealing with music that you're pushing back some dark spirits that, that exist there because I'm sensitive to that shit. And, you oh, know, yeah. You, well, you know it. If you're sensitive to, sensitive <laughs> yeah, to I, it, then you can feel it. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what it is. Do you? I don't know. I think it's <laughs> a you know part what I'm of talking that. About? I, know, I know what you mean, yeah. You know, <laughs> the spirits are very much alive there. Yeah, it's something. Yeah. Maybe it's because they keep all the dead people up over the ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Necropolis, they <laughs> call just, it. Necropolis. Yeah, they're just yeah. there. They're, they're not, you know. You know, sometimes I'll be with some people and we'll go by the uh, cemetery. Yeah. And uh, they'll naturally start to be quiet as if we're going to disturb the, the dead. Yeah. It's a weird a weird feeling, but, yeah. but it's incredible. Yeah. I uh, All right. So, so you're a kid and you got all this around you. And, you know, obviously you're a gifted guy. I mean, you're the guy. You're the new trombone guy. You're you're carrying the horn for everybody now. But uh, how does that reveal itself? I mean, because there's there's footage and pictures and and you know uh, recordings of you with that that trombone and you know you're you're like a little kid. Yeah, yeah, four years old. And you, and it's bigger than you are, and you're just laying it out. Why that that instrument? And when did you realize or whoever realized around you that like this guy's special with this thing? Um. Well, this goes back to my, I was telling yeah. you about having a sidekick. Right. So my brother's a trumpet yeah, player. Yeah. So I guess in the house we didn't need any more trumpet players. Yeah. So he they put yeah. a trombone there and I, I, I stuck with it. But they it. just give it to you? Who gives it to you? Who says like- It's either my mom or my brother, but it was around the house. So because they are, uh, my cousins and my brother playing music, the instruments would stay at my house. Right. And they would be like my playpen. Right. I would crawl okay. inside tubas and yeah. drums and stuff. But yeah. I think- once my brother took over and wanted me to play music and stay on his side, the trombone was the thing uh-huh. that he kept me with. Uh-huh. And I, I think that's just his influence of the city. Trumpet players are always the, the kings, you know, yeah, leading right. the band. So he put me on the trombone. Right. And maybe he needed a trombone player in the band at that time. Well, it sounds like it. I mean, that's the, the traditional yeah, yeah. place for the trombone. Right, right, right on side, the trumpet player. And how's, uh, does he have a recording career, your brother? Yes, yes, he has a few records out. Uh, what, ty- what styles he uh, He actually, uh, some of his best music he did to me is with uh, Alan Toussaint produced it. Yeah. So he has a record called Satchmo of the Ghetto that he did back in the 90s and it's Toussaint that's how you say it Alan Alan Toussaint Toussaint. yeah yeah, Toussaint not Toussaint no no Toussaint Toussaint. yep and it's featuring uh, actually on that record he has Alan Toussaint playing piano yeah and Dr. John on the organ oh wow the whole record and And what's your brother's name James Andrews oh man and he was a part of the Newt Birch Brad brand too he's still around yeah he's still around Uh, All right. yeah he's only like 52 uh huh. He's still around, and he plays just all the time. He plays in the city a lot, and he comes to jam with me whenever we can in the city. It seems it seems like like the people that are in that community, like you just say, like your brother, and then you know Alan Toussaint and and Doctor John. They're like, all right, let's do it. Yeah, right. It's like that it. easy. It's that easy. Let's do it. Let's just go in the studio and let's record. And then, right. And, you so know. you're with your brother. You're five, four, four. He's yeah. how old? He's how much older than you? I think. Maybe 16 years or something. He's like 16 that. years older than you? I think so. Hey, how old are you? I'm 36. Okay. Yeah. So he's a lot older than you. So yeah, he, yeah. But so was there, was there like, so you're playing trombone and he's playing uh, uh, trumpet, trumpet and yeah. he's, you know, and he's like 20 when you're right. four. Right, right, right. So was there a novelty approach to it too? Like in the sense of sort of like, look at this kid. Oh, uh, no, oh, because he, he didn't, 
I was up there, so some. I mean, I, I don't think I could really play that well at that age. Because you know, like uh, Derek uh, tr- uh, Trucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he was one of those kids they put out there. He's like eleven. And he's like right. doing all the he's Dwayne Allman part. But he had to reckon with the fact that like he's if he's going to stay in it. Yeah. At a certain point, he's like, well, I can't be this this like this novelty act. Right, right. This no. kid who's got this one trick. Right, right. So he had to figure out how to be a genius. <laughs> on his own he's incredible we did a few shows together oh did you yeah but my brother uh so my brother allowed me and taught me on the on the spot okay so so he knew trombone or he just knew horn or he just, he knew just music knows, or he just knows the trumpet all right so so i learned by ear first right so he would play in my ear and i would play it back to him but i as as all that all of all of those years of that uh I just kept getting stronger and stronger and better and, and gaining more. Yeah, gaining more knowledge. Right. So, just from playing. Yeah. So I didn't have and a, listening. Yeah. So I didn't have a trick at first. Right. So it's just me trying to learn Figure and it play, out. and then it just developed over time. But, but he he doesn't he doesn't he couldn't tell me what to play on the trombone. He could just play it for me on the trumpet, and I would have to. And you figured it out. out how to do all this on I, your own? Yeah, I figured out by standing next to him. But there's no, there was no trombone player that just said you got to do this with your hand. You I just, mean, they had a few of them that that I stood next to, and there's pictures of me <laughs> looking up at him trying to figure it out. But my arms were so small, I couldn't go all the way out, extended yeah. on the arm, uh, right. on the horn. But so I stood next to a lot of great trombone players on the street, and I I just listened to them. Do you have guys that you, you like? Like I don't know a lot of my, but I, I was. I think I've heard some J.J. Johnson stuff. Mm-hmm. I think he used to play with with Bop guys, right? Yeah, there are yeah. a couple of Bop guys, right? A couple of people, yeah. I, I listened to them when I was in school. Yeah, it, it, it hit me to them. That's and, so funny. It's like yeah. like you spend your whole life playing music, and then you go to the school, and they're like, "Here are the guys that." took what you're doing out this way other direction yeah 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 so but then, who are the guys that you grew up liking trombone I, guys i like uh fred wesley okay you know who that is no what's he about he's the one that uh was behind a lot of james brown music with uh, maceo parker okay yeah 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 so yeah. but he was like the first trombonist that uh was into putting it on funk music right so, okay yeah with that whole thing and that how old were you when he started getting hip to that uh, when you knew those guys, where you would listen to it, where you're like, I got to learn some shit from this record. Well, I always heard James Brown in the house, right? Because yeah. my family and everyone listened to it and loved his music, and but I wasn't listening to the horns at that moment. I was just checking out James Brown and everything that the sound was. That's coming. a good. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so as I got older and my ears started to grow a bit more, uh, I started to focus on that. And then I met him and talked to him and we recorded and done some things together and he's he's a nice person. Yeah? Yeah, Fred Wesley. Well, that, it's interesting because there it seemed like as I was thinking about talking to you that there is a difference between like what evolved out of like R&B horn sections were punctuation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then it somehow somehow evolved into a, a, a more elaborate lyrical presence in music as it became, you know, more funky and more, uh, you know, uh, almost aggressive. Yeah, yeah. you know that yeah. you know the, the and I've forgotten. You know, after while I was listening to you, I'm like, I, I'm 58. I grew up with some of the something like this. What is it? And then you realize, you know, through the 70s, there was like a bunch of really heavy horn. Bands, yeah, yeah, right. Tower Power, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Chicago, Chicago. That's right. Ohio players, Ohio players. I mean, like this, like the the 
the the history, the legacy that you're coming from in terms of bringing this stuff together, it's there. Yeah, it's there. Right, like because I started to realize like this is this is there's a familiarity to this. Right, right. Which is good. Yeah, absolutely. like you haven't heard it in a while. Right, right. Absolutely. I can't remember like you know listening to this record, it was reminiscent, but I can't remember the last time I heard like a power horn band like that. Well, that's true. Huh? I didn't think it. about that. Yeah. Well, it's natural for me. I always hear it, especially in New Orleans, but. But to put it all together with that stuff, with together. the guitar and all. And all. Yeah, yeah. But going back, when do people start taking notice? How old were you when I, I watched that picture, uh, that video you playing with Winton? When did he take notice of you? How did how did the, how did it evolve the, that you became prominent? Uh, you know, being in New Orleans, Winton would come back and 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 see us playing, and then he'll take us. Where at? All over the street or wherever we may be. Winton was just walking around the streets with his brother and his dad. <laughs> his dad. Well, we, I mean, it was always some type of musical thing that was going on, and he right. would be in town for so that. So he was like a, a big supporter. Yeah, he's a supporter. Yeah, he, he uh, Of the community in general. Of music, yeah. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah. So when he finds you, what does he say to you? Well, when he, when he, you know, he just, we were playing New Orleans jazz, New Orleans music, so. How old uh, were you? I was probably around five or six that we would. That I, I I met him and he what, was, what was the outfit you were with with the band? What band were you with? I was probably time? with my brother's band. And what were they uh, called? The All Star Brass okay. Band. And we were just playing yeah. you know, street funk, yeah. brass, but it's yeah. part of the New Orleans thing. Yeah. And uh and so I've been knowing him since that time. Yeah. But yeah, but we we a little bit more loose and, and, and <laughs> yeah. And but he brought you out there. What was that? Where was that done? Where is that sh- uh, that thing taking place? That was somewhere in Europe. Yeah. I think it was probably in uh. Jazz of Vienna in, in France. Did he um, take you out there with him? No, I you was were... with my brother's band. And oh. he, he he knew that we were there, and he yeah. invited me to play the last song. And so, when now, so when you said, how old were you then? I don't know when that video was. Oh. I was probably like thirteen or right. fourteen. So when that happens, by that time you can riff, you can improvise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we grew up improvising in New Orleans, so. And when I got to to the Noka school, uh, it was very strange for me that people were playing other people's solo because that that's not what we did in Treme. Yeah. Uh, like when you hear people like my brother Kermit Ruffins, uh, you can if they coming down the street five blocks away, we can tell which band it was by the trumpet player sound. Right. Really. Yeah. Like if Reapert was coming up the street, we knew the language that Kermit Ruffins was playing on top of all that, and we could be like, "Oh, it's Rebirth. Yeah. And when they come up the street, that's ex- exactly who it is. So, it huh. was, so we learn to improvise first. That's a because part that's of how you get your own thing, your own point of view, your own sound. Yeah, you get your own sound, and you're developing and speaking. You know, like yeah. I, I speak with my New Orleans accent, and you speak how you speak. So that's how we think. If I keep musically. talking to you, I'll be speaking in the New Orleans accent yeah, yeah, by yeah. the end of the thing. Yeah, I'll have I'm you just together. one of those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get you together. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, well, that's interesting because that that approach gives you uh, a voice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where whereas like because I always notice that in music in general that there are people that can copy other people brilliantly. Yeah. But you know they're they're kind of lost when it comes to expressing themselves. Yeah, they, they don't know who they are. Yeah, it's all uh, it's all stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. I like technique, to technique. Yeah, yeah, technique. Uh, right. And and. You know, but I, don't get me wrong. I like to listen to a lot of music, and I li- once you listen to something like you just said, you'll be speaking like New yeah. Orleans accent. That's ha- that's hap- that happens to me in music. Like whatever I'm listening to, it'll get without in there? without trying to copy it, it'll be in my. You'll absorb my, it. I'll, I'll absorb it. Yeah, like a sponge, and yeah. it'll naturally come out. 
some right. type of way. But I'm not copying anyone. I'm just I just learned en- enough lyrics or it just touched me that much to where it's right. just coming out. Well, also you grew up at a time, you know. I mean, you know, it it, was, it wasn't like you were t- isolated. Right. I mean, you're getting all the music coming in from when you're growing up because like this record, the new record, lifted. Is I mean, it's as much a rock record as it is anything else. Absolutely, and okay. and and I have to assume that you know, despite the roots and this sort of, because I think everyone has a perception, a, a kind of like you know, almost this romantic idea of of that New Orleans music just stays the way it is forever. But you know, there's music going on all the time. That's right, and we're influenced by everyone. Right, and I think yeah. you pull it in on this record for sure. Yeah. I mean, and, you got Gary Clark on there, yeah. and you got your regular guitar player, I that's guess. Right, yeah, and. uh but the beautiful thing about New Orleans is that we have this New Orleans music and then we have subgenres of New Orleans music. So, uh, I mean, we have like New Orleans funk, which is the Neville Brothers and the Meters, and then you like have New Orleans rock, which is like uh, Cowboy Mouth and Better Than Ezra and oh, different right. things. Okay, and yeah. Then, then we have the street brass. Yeah. And you have subgenres of that. You have a traditional type of brass, then you have people that's more street funk which is rebirth and 30 dozen right then you have like preservation hall so we we all fit under this new orleans umbrella but we all speak a different language uh and it all comes together so even in the city not musically speaking we have people that's in certain neighborhoods that when even when i go to visit my family they have their own lingo they own right language that i don't understand what the musical language no no just Just, oh just regular in general so some we very some people are very influenced by uh, their neighborhood. Yeah, and then sure. we all meet up some type of way, and we have this common thing underneath that's New Orleans, but we all speak a little differently. Yeah, to where I go to my cousins in the ninth ward, and they're saying something that I'm like, I don't know what y'all are talking about. <laughs> yeah, and so they're influenced because they created that. They all hear each other speak. Yeah, and they some people stay in that neighborhood for thirty years. Right, and they don't go anywhere. Yeah, that's a little weird, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's that. It's weird. But that's what happened. Yeah. Um, and so we, I go down there and I'm listening to them, and they even play the tambourine differently. Right. You, know, you might have some people uptown that that play with their fingertips, and when you come downtown, they play with their knuckles. Yeah. And the Mardi Gras Indians, it's just small little things like yeah, that. Yeah. That's big. You know? Right. It makes a big difference to the sound. Yeah, to the sound. I noticed that with washboard players. Yeah, washboard players. That's right. We- <laughs> <laughs> Where you're like, everyone's got their own style on that washboard. That's right. Everybody got their own styles, you know. <laughs> some people play with spoons. Some people have the gloves with the, the metal tips yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah. So it's different things, but it's all one city. Uh, right. So at some point, we influence one another. So some things that I learned in the night wall that I didn't know, I find a way naturally to bring that to the trim. But you're not necessarily. Level. But you're not necessarily conscious of it. Right. It's, it's just, just an influence. You just pick it up. You just pick it up. And yeah. then one day you're like, oh shit, right. I'm doing that thing that I right. got. That's yeah, right. yeah. That's right. So we'll reference it like, oh man, let's 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 play this beat like uh, when we doing something like play it like a hot eight band. That, right. They're from uptown. Yeah, yeah. So they got the different. You know, you once you come down there and you see it, you'll be able to tell. And yeah. there for a while, you'd be like, oh, that's an uptown yeah. thing. And then I'm from downtown. And you could see, like, if I show you some videos, you could be like, oh, they definitely, by people's second line, which is a dance in New Orleans, but it's all improvised. Right. You know, but it's all the second line. But, it's been, but, but it's been going on long enough that there's style to there's it. There's style to it. Right, So right. we could be like, oh, this guy's from uptown. And then you could see how smooth the, the downtown is. Yeah, yeah. And you could just tell by the way they approach their dancing. Right. 
And, right, and, it, right. and we all five minutes away from each other. That's wild. But the influence of the neighborhood is so impactful. Well, that, well, isn't that something to do with the, like, there? there isn't a representation with, like, again, I don't know the history mm-hmm. of the costumes, of Mardi Gras costumes, but isn't there a history of slight differences around those costumes that have been going on for generations? Yeah, yeah, well, you Like know, the chiefs? Yeah, the chiefs, and the story, they always have a story that they're uh, needle and threading on there. Okay, so yeah, the, yeah. The, the Mardi Gras Indians are just a... Uh, it started as a, uh, a tribute to uh, Native Americans that that helped slaves. Uh-huh. So this is the way that the black people in New Orleans paid tribute to that culture, okay, and, yeah. and then it became what it is today. Right. But yeah, there's always difference, and it's it. They get in the street and do real battles. Yeah. Back in the day, it was very very dangerous. People really. Yeah, they might not make it home. Like but this they, was a celebration. Well, this is Mardi Gras, but it's it, you know, <laughs> it is a celebration. But like you say, there's some darkness to it, you know. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah. it's a beautiful thing with that culture. So you'll have people from downtown, the Mardi Gras tribes, the Mardi Gras right. Indian. You have yeah. people from uptown, and they'll walk, and they'll go down the street, and some type of way they meet up, and then there's a real battle. That's interesting. But they 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 uh they Indian singing. Yeah, and they telling stories. They might say something about this guy's suit is raggedy, or oh, whatever. Right, right, then right. The other guys say something. But back in the day, yeah, you have real hatchets come out, and people, uh, you know, so that's a, that's an aggressive game of the dozens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's say? all right now. It's all yeah. right now. Well, no, all, right. Well, yeah. but but I think the point I was trying to to play at is that there is sort of a a, a, a cultural tribalization around like the music mm-hmm. like yeah. everyone like that's passed on through through traditions yep. in these communities and then even though it's five minutes away it's like a whole different language it's a whole of, different, of music too exactly that's what i was telling you right and in this record it seems like you know you can really feel that you're pulling in at least from you know from rock funk you know straight up uh, New Orleans jazz and and you know other play you know hip hop R and B like mm-hmm. it's all like it, I, I listen to all the records mm-hmm. but this one I'm like I can see it all you can and see I, it yeah. yeah and also I think it's great because you just step up you, the trombones lead in this thing mm-hmm. yeah, whereas yeah. before you were I felt more like you were conducting yeah 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 absolutely is that is that true yeah yeah you got it oh good yeah yeah you're on it so. How do you evolve out of your brother's band? Do you now? You guys okay? Does he? Uh, you and your brother? Does he, I think we okay? Yeah. He's not. He's not. He's not jealous. No, no. You know, he'll just come on stage. I'll just hit his trumpet plan. Yeah. Like I uninvited sometimes, but his big brother, he he'll come on stage and start playing and really at a gig when you yeah. I'll just look to the side and he's walking out, and now we have to do like a little a little fake battle. Oh, okay. You know, but no, he's good. He's uh. He's a wonderful person, and I have to give him a lot of uh, a lot of respect and love because without him, I don't think I would be here. Today. Of course, yeah. yeah. So, who was the first uh, you know major star that kind of used you, brought you on stage? Well, to me, it was probably the Neville brothers, Aaron Neville. Yeah, and, and then from there, well, actually, uh, when I was four, I was yeah. brought on stage by Bro Diddley. Yeah. 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 That's it. That's it. Yeah. I was four. I, I was so small. I don't know what I was doing. But, yeah. uh, and then I did, played with a few different did you people. Did you talk to Bo? I, I don't know. You I, don't remember? I don't remember. I was like four. I think I was a, I think I was a little nervous or scared because they, they crowd surfed me to the stage. <laughs> I'm like this little kid, and they're like <laughs> with the horn, with the horn. My mom like hey, hey. and they put me on stage yeah. with him, and there's a picture of that. But uh, when I was 18 or 19, I 
graduated high school and I joined Lenny Kravitz band for a few years. Now, was this like when you talk about the education you were getting around uh, jazz, when did that happen? Was that in high school? No. So there was these, uh, there's this educator, Kid Jordan. He's yeah. an educator. He's taught a lot of musicians. Uh-huh. So at, at the time that I was uh, playing with my brother's band, Kid Jordan found me and they had me in summer programs. Okay. My whole life. When you were starting at like five or six? Or? Probably around eight or nine. Okay. During that time, I started to go to the programs with him and go to, he was teaching that at Suno uh, as a Southern University of New Orleans. I would go to there okay. every, every Thursday Yeah. and play with like all ages. Okay. Uh, college students. Right. Were, and so I was taking lessons with him. And then there was a guy, Clyde Kerr and Kent Jordan, who taught me at the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts. Those guys are the most prominent people in my education interesting so you come up with all this sort of uh natural talent and street talent yep. from family and right. watching yep and then these guys are like we got it right this guy's got it let's teach him what's up that's right so they they wasn't concerned they weren't concerned with me playing they yeah. wanted me to understand what i was doing to right. be able to speak the language and and get in the book and read music and read music and so that's uh, where you learned all that all that with them yeah and how did you take to that i mean where, where, did you fight it or were you like ready because like, it seems like learning to read music when you know how to play music. Be like, what do I got to do that for? No, no, no. I, I mean, I was so young that I was, okay. and I'm always just, excited okay. to learn new things. Yeah, yeah. So that's what kept me going. Like whenever I learned something and I was able to go back to the Treme neighborhood and play it in front of my friends, I'll use it in, in that type of setting. Integrate it in. Yeah, integrate it, and I was able to do it. It made me even more excited. I, so think, I, you just, uh, I think you just, in a very uh, kind of... Uh, uh, I think a diplomatic way uh, define showing off. <laughs> <laughs> well, to my friends, so they would play because we we all battle each other. So whenever I okay. learn something, that's how we got my oh, cousins. That, my so that cousins. that's how it goes. Yeah, we'll, you just you go at each other. We go at each other all the time, you know, and try to out riff each other. Try to out riff each other. Oh, um, you know, some things that we play, like uh, some of my cousin and I, like he played the trumpet. He could play very high. Yeah. And then I, I got to a level to where I was able to play very high. So we'd find ways to try to play melodies very high on a trumpet. But it, we all in the same band, uh, but we right. riff, we riff, riff. Like, you know, like basketball players. Sure. You, if you go learn a new move or something, you want to go show it off. Right. So when I was learning stuff, because they didn't go to Noka with me. So right. they stayed in the street and, and natural. So you came in and sh- you came and showed them and you showed off, but you also, you also gave them a gift. That's it. Whenever I learned something, yeah. I would go play it. And when, while we're battling in the backyard or whatever, I would play it and be like, check this out. And then I would break it down to them right. and show it to them and then right. they play something. So that's why I was always excited to learn something because some of my friends didn't take the journey with me to go learn right. music. So I was able to bring it back to them. And make it understandable. And make it understandable. And now... By the end of the, whenever they practice, all of us are getting better. Right. And I'm able to bring that knowledge that I'm getting over here yeah. to them. That's great. Yeah. But and, but I like how it comes out you know, in both teaching, but also in battles. Yeah, it's battles. And and also... But then, healthy competition. Yeah, healthy competition. And, and we still do that. You know, if we go in the street, if I take you in the second line in New Orleans, there's a 10-piece band, another 10-piece band. Even though we're all playing the same gig, there's divisions. So we have the first division and the second division. And the second division is normally the most popular headlining band. Yeah. And at the end, uh, or maybe... So there's this thing. So we parade for four hours. Yeah. I, I don't do it anymore. It's been a long time. But yeah. uh, 
So we parade for four hours and there's like these 10 minute breaks where yeah. people get food and stuff. But what'll happen when the band's supposed to take yeah. a break, we take that moment to line up and face off. Yeah. And so you got thousands of people that's with you and thousands of people with the other band and we, we going at it. Wow. Sometimes at the same time. How many members in the band? It's, it could be from eight to 10, 12 people. What, what, how does that break down a brass band like that, a classic one? So we got probably two trombone players, okay. maybe three trumpets at most, no more than three. Yeah. A sax player, then you got snare drum, bass, sousaphone, that we call it a tuba. Yeah. And But now they're starting to have like two tubas on each wow. side to get more power. Yeah. You know, so, but we'll, we'll face <laughs> off. I, it's so fun, you know, and we all have, we all friends, so after that we'll be like, yeah, Y'all got us on that first. So that's stop. where that tuba. It's funny. Yeah. So that's where that tuba comes from. It kind of like because I mean, you know, the roots got a tuba. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's a New Orleans thing. That's a New Orleans thing. We put a tuba on anything. You yeah. know, you see a washboard <laughs> player. He got a tuba player. You know. <laughs> well, I wonder where does that come from? The Germans brought those things over. I think. Yeah, yeah, the European instruments. You right, know? because like you know, all those horns, you know, uh, in the in the German and like the accordion and stuff, you know. It's so funny because, you know, when the Germans came, I don't know how they came or why they came. I think it was, but I know it was in Texas and it must have been New Orleans. But right. what the Mexicans did with it and versus what the people in New Orleans did with what the black people did with yeah, totally yeah. different things. Totally man. different things. Because, right. like, for some reason, the Mexicans gravitated to the polka. You know, yeah, bop, yeah. Bop, bop, right, bop, right. But, that's right. And then but in New Orleans, it became something else. I don't it's know how that happened. Yeah. It's, it's, it must have been, it must have been more primitive melodies. Right. You know. Right. Right. Yeah, that vibe right there. Yeah, yeah that's, that's it. That's what we were feeling. Right. You know? yeah. And that's where the swing comes from. While the Mexicans are boom, back, right. Yeah, that type of thing. Wow. But it's all that's regional. That's what I was. Sure. That's, that's that it. goes back. That's it. It goes back to that uh, the neighborhood. Yeah. You know, yeah. New Orleans. For sure. And and how it integrates with whatever the the dominant music is. That's right. That's right. So all right. So. You do all this, you learn about this stuff. Now, can, do you feel proficient? Like, I guess be, you, because it seems like the traditional horn uh, or the traditional New Orleans horn band thing, it's kind of one, four, five trip, right? It's a mm -hmm. blues trip. Right, right. It's blues. Most, yeah, mostly, yeah. right? With yeah. a couple added kind of uh, ragtimey. Well, kinda, it, well uh, I, I don't know what you call it. Uh, yeah. Well, it's not, I mean, it's in there, but that's very old now. Right. Like, now the music is. Uh, influenced by modern hip hop and and, and yeah. R and B, so there's a lot more changes to sure. that. But that I type of right. thing, uh, it's what we hear in the French Quarter, right? The more touristy, right? Like that, that type of a one four. But five that's thing. A, but that's sort of on the on the basis of that rock one. That one, what's that one that the uh, that power rock one on the record that's almost got like a whipping post riff to it? I stand in here. Yeah. You know, that like that's a straight up rock blues yeah, trip. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and uh, uh, and that's uh, you used uh, Gary? Gary? Yeah, Gary Clark. Yeah, I've talked to him. He's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, an incredible person and an amazing musician. Sweet guy, right? Yeah, sweet guy. He's a good guitar yeah. player. Yeah. Uh, but where's it going with this? So, oh, I know. So, like, when you you're learning about this other kind of jazz, now can you can you hold your own in a bop outfit? I can go up there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what they taught me at the school. Yeah. And we, what's the primary difference? I mean, you know, like in in New Orleans, like we were saying, you hear more Louis Armstrong is more dancing. Sure. It's more for the people. Yeah. And then when you go to play the other stuff, is is 
you're really playing for the next musician next to you. And they're barely listening. Right. <laughs> well, they're listening, but the right. crowd might not be listening. But it's just so funny when you see those guys, the yeah. horn players in the bop outfits. Yeah. Because, like, you know, like, like if, if Shorter's going into sax, right. you know, Miles is just smoking a cigarette. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, he's like just yeah, waiting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wait, right. there's no, there's no, no trying to perform. No, no one's no. dancing. Nobody. We're just we're gonna yeah. wait. We're just waiting for you to finish your expression. <laughs> exactly. But I, I learned that's what they taught us at that school. Mm. You know, uh, a lot of people went to the school. Harry Connick, uh, Brand from Mar the Marcellus family. Actually, yeah. Ellis Marcellus, may he rest in peace. He taught that before my time. Terrence Blanchard, John Baptiste. Everybody goes through that, and they teach us that. So we we can get up there and do that if that's what we want. But when I was there, I didn't. I didn't, coming from where I come from, I was excited to learn the language. Right, but you didn't and, feel and it. I didn't feel it, but mm -hmm. I, I learned it because I, I'm always a student and I love learning. Sure. So if we had to do that, we can get up there and do it. So when you go out with Lenny, like, how does that happen? And what, what do you, like, is that where, I mean, how does he decide to use a trombone? Well, you know, he's he comes from that seventies thing that we were talking about with oh, Earth, right. Wind, okay. and Fire. Okay, so that's that. where it goes. Okay, yeah, so yeah, right. He, he has uh, he had horn players before me. Okay, I think I may have been the first trombone player in uh -huh. his band, but he always had a sax and a trumpet. Right. Okay. But by me playing both, he was like, "Oh, we got it." I'm know. trying to remember the songs with the horns. Uh, yeah, we got uh, uh, "Mama Said." Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, I, that makes sense. So he's doing it ain't over till it's over. Uh, right. Right. So he does that, but also on the songs that don't have it, he allowed us to make some arrangements and make our own parts on it. Uh huh. And uh, but during that time with him, it was uh, I knew that I would continue to be a musician, but I didn't know. I was already discovering rock and, and, and playing with people in New Orleans that yeah. was playing that type of music. But while I was at Noga, I was listening to like Cash Money Records and No Limit Records and Nine Inch Nails and uh -huh. uh, Red Hot Chip, Chili Peppers. Yeah. So I was always interested in that. So you're trying to figure out how, like, I, I guess what the real question becomes, it's like, if I don't want the life of a sideman, mm. you know, what am I going to do? Well, I was really trying to copy off of my brother who was a front man. Yeah. But he, who is a front man. But I wanted to, because I had so many other influences of, of what I was hearing yeah. and what I was a part of, I just needed to fi figure out a way to, uh, to to all put it together in this gumbo. Right. But, and you, but you decide to sing at some point. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. you can sing and you do sing. So I, that, I couldn't sing at first. My band and my brother and, and uh, a great legendary New Orleans musician, Deacon John, he was like, man, you should sing. And I'm like, I don't... I, I, at one point, I was even afraid to even introduce the band on yeah. the stage, you know. So, so I, I learned over time and I got more serious about it. But at first, I was a little too nervous. But they told me, look, if you do this, you can reach much many more people well that's interesting about singing because like i did i performed last night i'm a yeah you know, i'm a comic and i yeah. and I, i've always played guitar but like i was always afraid of singing yeah yeah no, it's I, embarrassing and vulnerable and weird it's, it is it is it's, it's a strange thing you know i i'm telling you like i would early on i just would like point to the band members and say thank you i was just so nervous but yeah. i see my brother do it all the time and i was like well if i want to be like that i better start doing it and then of course dr john Mm. He has his own personality. I was like, well, I can do that. Sure, know? sure. Yeah. Not, he's no, uh, he's no virtuoso singer. But he got his thing, yeah, you know? and that, and that thing. made me more comfortable yeah. listening. I'm like, oh, that's cool that he has. Uh, when you hear that, you know it's him. You know it's him. Yeah, so, yeah. So he was hanging around your family all the time. Yeah, like, you know? way before I was even born. Yeah, he, he was a part of the family. Yeah. That's wild, man. Yeah. 
He's because he's such a character. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and it's just like it, it's. It must have been nice to know him as a dude. It is. He lived a long time too. He did. He he. Uh, he would call me on the road and check up on me. And, how you doing? Yeah, how yeah, you yeah, talk? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, man. How you feeling? <laughs> yeah. We were in the studio, and he was like, "Look, I gotta go, but uh, put a little trick knowledge on there for me." <laughs> yeah. You know, he always had some sayings that yeah. I, sometimes I didn't catch it until five minutes later. But oh yeah, it was always wonderful to be around. Him. I've been so blessed to be able to uh, come up under a lot of legends that's not here with us and learn. Cause I one on one, one on one, like who some of the other ones? Uh, of course, Alan too. Sure, said. he just passed not too long. Yeah, ago, he right? passed not too long ago. There's uh, the Neville brothers. Yeah, I, I grew up playing with them since I was like 13 years old. So I've I've been able to be influenced. Yeah. Uh, so like I was telling, going from Noka, yeah, I had another parallel experience of playing with these guys right right like so active mentorship yeah, active mentorship learning on the spot being on the road with them and also uh so that the goal i mean i guess the challenge there was um to keep the natural ability and, and, the, and the connectivity yeah to the people and also learn his other uh technical ability right because i had some friends that go that went into the school with me they had so much fire, but yeah. by the time we finished, they were technically proficient, but they didn't have no 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 soul anymore. Right. So I, I they was, lost it. They lost it. It became too technical. Technique. Yeah, too technical. Yeah, too, too book wise. Right. You know? And I was like, wow. But I'm I'm glad I was able to keep that. I right. think I kept it, but I, no. I it seems there. like you have a, a a sort of commitment and a growing vision of what you're doing. Yeah. You know, but it's open. It's open. Yeah. And also, I think it seems that you have uh, uh, leadership qualities. I, I think that in the sense that, like, you know, maybe the, the same thing that made you nervous about singing or whatnot made you very aware of, of what was going on with all the instruments. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So, because you have to, like, you, you're clearly, you have to be a, a band leader mm -hmm. at some point if yeah. you're going to put that stuff together. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're doing the arrangements, That's right. you got to be like, this is how this goes. Well, you know, and you have to be a, a student too. So I had to do a lot of studying with different people and right. uh, and and watching people. So when I do go back with my band, because I I had uh at seven eight years old, I had my neighbors across the street, Sammy and Wayne. We put together this brass band. I, as I told you, we were trying to imitate the people yeah. in the neighborhood. Yeah, we burdened my brother. And I took them across the street, not being able to technically speak to them at that age, but I taught them how to play the bass drum and the snare drum yeah. of what I was hearing in the family. And from that time, they started to grow on their own. And then I was always the person in the group. So we, we had a bass drum and snare drum, then yeah. me, me on the trombone. Right. But then we didn't have a trumpet player. Then the yeah. guy down the street could play the trombone. So I would play the trumpet. Right. And right. then we finally got a, a trumpet player, but we didn't have a tuba player. Then I switched to tuba. Yeah. And so I played all the instruments in the group. And it was it was a beautiful thing. Now that I'm thinking about it, I didn't realize that we, we were really developing and doing some things together. But I, I wasn't able to speak but i can teach them the way my brother taught me at at, a, at that age right and be and out of necessity you were able to kind of you know take on all the instruments so it gave you a very nuanced understanding of what to expect from those instruments absolutely yeah huh yeah so like you can play any kind of horn that's got that that mouthpiece on it i guess yeah i think so i, I haven't tried a french horn yet but i had one I had yeah one how come yet. how could you not have just tried it I had one when I was younger, uh, when I when I was learning. But I, I'm 
I'm about to order a bunch of horns and just play around with them. Oh, really? Just yeah, to have them around? Just to have them around. Now, yeah. what are there different types of trombones? I like I, I noticed there's a couple of different types. Yeah, of you got a you know the standard trombone, alto trombone, which is a little smaller. You got an F attachment, which which you see in in uh, classical music a lot. What is that? It's an F attachment. You ever see where the guys have like a, a lot of pipes? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. What is yeah. that? So that's like they use that in classical because you can, so we can get. Uh, Certain notes you can just hit it. So if, if I'm playing really fast and I want to get a C, yeah, I can that's six percent. I can get it in in a first position without stretching my arm. Oh, I, I see. can just hit the note here. So yeah. you might have like a fast yeah. riff. Do you feel you, like that's cheating? Somehow? No, 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 not at all. I have one of them. It's not cheating at all. Yeah, because you can only do two or three notes. But it's like if you instead right. of going all the way out. But usually just it. use a straight, regular, standard yeah, I'm trombone? Yeah, regular, yeah, yeah. I got to be rock and roll on that one, yeah. So when you go out with Kravitz, that seems like it's right around the time that Katrina hit. Yeah, it's a couple of months after I joined the band. So you're away? I'm, well, what when happened? happened? So I was in the band. We had just started the South America tour, and we were out for a couple of months, and, and I went back home for a two-week break. And during that two-week break, a uh, three-week break, Katrina hit. And I had to get back on tour without knowing where some of my family was. We still was trying to locate people and really and different things. Yeah. So, but thank the Lord that I was in that band at that moment because I was able to make a living. Yeah. With with a superstar. Yeah. Playing arenas and different things and and later on when things started to settle down. Yeah. We we were doing an American tour. I think it was uh Lenny and uh. And we were playing on the road with Aerosmith. So yeah. We were doing like a cold build thing. Yeah. He was opening up. And uh, one good thing about that is that we traveled all over the United States and most of my family and friends were displaced in everywhere. Really? So I. So everything, I, the whole neighborhood got flooded out. The, yeah, the neighborhood. My, my neighborhood of Trim May is close to the French Quarter, which yeah. is the highest point of the right. city. Okay. So we had some water in that neighborhood, but nothing that, that was that was topping the house like it was in the ninth ward. Oh, so you got lucky. Yeah, we got lucky. We just had to change some floors and some wooding around. And you found everybody? We found everybody, yeah. We found it. It took some months, but we found everybody. <laughs> months? Yeah, some people, you know, maybe about a month or so that we didn't hear from everyone. Oh. And after about a month or two, we started to know where everyone was. Well, And did you find that, it, did, did it change any... Like I, you're already close to the city, but did mm -hmm. that did did that change the necessity of of uh, you know, sort of how you feel about the city? No, no. If anything, it uh it made everyone from New Orleans realize that we had a, a magical, special place. Yeah. Because I was telling you before before Katrina, yeah, there were some people that never left their neighborhood and even seen the rest of right. New Orleans in right. thirty years. So, yeah. So that that just made us feel. Uh, closer, and we just hug it a little tighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and uh, so this record, you know, I read some of the press. Now, you know, you had your mother in mind uh, mm -hmm. in the title, Lifted. Yeah, yeah. When did she pass away? November, oh, wow. a couple of months so, ago. And my weird. grandmother, uh, February. Yeah. Right after that. Yeah, and did yeah. you did you play at their, their funerals? Of course. Yeah? It was very hard. It's mm -hmm. very hard to perform... But I've I've probably played hundreds of funerals being in New Orleans, but that was probably the toughest. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But and I, I played all the way to the end. Yeah, yeah. Did it? Does it help? Like, I, I guess in in the same sense, well, Jews they do a week thing. It's a week long. 
You're, you're, you don't do much of anything. You know, you don't work. You don't do nothing. It's different. You reflect. Mm-hmm. But I imagine that the, the spiritual element with the support of the family and the other musicians and everybody in the community that knew the, the deceased, mm-hmm. that like once you get done with that playing, that you feel some relief, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you can see it and feel it. So uh, as soon as someone passes away in New Orleans that was a culture barrier of a yeah. musician, mm-hmm. that week things happen. Yeah. We do a whole week of parades right. and okay, second. Right, okay. Only for like the cultural barriers of people, musicians are people yeah. that kept it along. But you'll see it's a sadness and then once we start playing and we finish it, it, it is a sign of relief. Right, and the music takes us there, and then we got through it because we've been dealing with it all week. But we right. don't, we don't sit down and 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 sit in a dark room. Right, and, it's, it's like an immediate way to deal with the trauma of yeah. grief. Yeah, because yeah. grief, you know, it comes and goes, man. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you can't you can't manage it. But I imagine just just that sort of like, here you go, here we go, giving yeah. it to the uh, to the sky That's or whatever. It. That's it. Wow. So this record comes out, it's out? It's not out yet? No, it's out on uh, April 29th. Yeah, man, it's like, it, it, the whole thing just it plows along. Thank you, thank you. It's yeah. all it's all the horns, too. Who's the producer on this? Chris Seafree. And you record this at your own place? Yeah, in New Orleans, I got a place we call Buck Jump, which is another word for second lining. We like to buck jump out oh, there. Oh, buck jump, all right. Yeah, and uh, I bought the studio from uh, Better Than Ezra, Oh yeah? Band, yeah, yeah, I know those guys. Yeah, so they had it for many, many years, and I was recording in there, and they said that they was getting rid of it, and I told them to have whoever call me. And, yeah, and then we started to. So talk. it was already set up. It was already set up. Of course, I did a little remodeling to get it up to date and uh-huh. different wiring and different things, but it's, it was already ready. And to they're be New Orleans guys. Better I than don't think right? they're from New Orleans, but they they started their career or less, at least they've been there for 20, 30 years. Huh. So they're, they're part of us. Yeah. Right. But that's interesting, though, because like you were saying earlier, it gives you the option to be, if you have your own space and you got the keys, mm-hmm. you could just you can get an idea and call someone in the middle of the night. Absolutely. And say, uh, let's work out this riff that's or it. whatever. And that happens. It does. Yeah. I just called my engineer. uh and I, I call my guitar player. Or sometimes, normally, I'll just go by myself, and then I'll try to create all of the instruments by myself, and they'll come in and play it much better than me. Right. But like we, one of the records on the record, we did a song, uh, "Might Not Make It Home." We were actually playing at the House of Blues for an uh, event for the school that I went to, uh-huh. a fundraiser. We probably got off at midnight, and I, I had this vibe in my head as soon as I got off, and I just told the band, "Hey, man, y'all all right?" Like. Let's get something to eat. Yeah. And we went to the studio and we started the session about 2 a.m. And we recorded that vibe. Really? Yeah. And you got it. And we got it. We just stayed there until like 6 in the morning. I got skylights in there so the sun started to come out. But we were in the thing. And that's the beauty of having it. I just had to make sure none of their girlfriends got mad with me from them not coming <laughs> home right yeah. afterwards, you know. Make sure they understood where they were. Yeah, they understood. Yeah. They could, you know, yeah, we're working. We're working, that's yeah. right. Well, that's a, lot, that's a lot better to have that than to try to get it on your phone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you but know. I, I wanted, sometimes when I get ideas, I can't sleep in, until I got at least the music 100% complete. Right. So I have to do it right there and be able to feel it in a few hours or take it home so I can move on to the next idea on top. So we went in there to record it as if this is the end. Like, right. This is what we need to do. Like, oh, yeah, we can't yeah, touch yeah. nothing else. Yeah. Right. Well, so in, you said that, like, some of the other records, you, you know, you get kind of uh, meticulous about, you know, how everything needs to be in the studio. And this in this record, it's more, 
you know, it's more informed by uh, the energy that you guys get when you're live. Absolutely. So what do you have to do to stop yourself from over, over? You know what I mean? For from uh, 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 being meticulous, or yeah, or, or just overproducing it. Well, we did it. Uh, uh, well, we learned the music and then we performed it. Okay. Yeah. So you performed it live in the studio, right? Yeah. So okay. I like let's learn it. Oh, let's, I see. Let's see where we are. We did very, very little overdubs, mostly like tambourines and and horns. Really? Yeah. So with all that, how many guys in your band? I got ten people in the band. Uh, twelve, but only three or four of them was on this record. Like we used a one drum. I got two drummers. We used one drummer. Yeah. Uh, bass guitar. Yeah. Organist, and uh, and the other guitar. And most times I played. Uh, Fender Rhodes and uh-huh. this auxiliary. What are all the horns? Uh, me on tuba, yeah, trombone and trumpet, and we had a, a baritone sax and a tenor sax. So you did three horns. I did three. So horns. you're saying you just played the the basis, of the core of the songs live. Yeah, and then you layered it, on. and then we put the horns on. Huh. So, but we played together, right? So because uh, the studio is not that big, we could have done it, but I let the the rhythm section. Mm. which is the drums, bass, keys, and guitar, mm. they played, and maybe I was singing a scratch vocal just to guide them. Yeah. And then me and the horns, we went back in there, and we played it live on top of, so we can get the same room sound. Yeah, that, sound, that horn sound, you jacked up those horns, Yeah, man. yeah. Well, I, I do a lot of uh, uh, doubling and tripling, so we, we'll play the line. That's great, yeah. And then we'll play it again. Yeah. Then, then We'll play it again, but sometimes when you're recording horns, especially the saxophones, you'll get a phasing thing when you double it. Uh huh. So what we'll do is, when we double, sometimes we'll switch parts. So whatever the sax played on the first one, mm-hmm. I will play that on my trombone, and he'll play what my trombone is playing. Okay. So we got the same chord and the same sound. Yeah. But the texture is different. Oh wow. Yeah. That's a that's a lot, and you know I think like it's timely because it seems to me that like something's happening within hip hop and R and B that there is a kind of slightly retro movement going on. Yeah, yeah, right, right. You know, like with Silk Sonic and shit, where you you know you yeah, kind of yeah. getting back to that to that type of R and B that was a little more easy listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Right, and so maybe like you know it's time that you know that that a, a re a, a sort of renewed interest in in that kind of 70s horn band mm-hmm. thing because like really when i'm listening to it, i'm like this used to happen a lot right and it right. doesn't happen anymore that's right yeah maybe, maybe i'm in the wrong time no no maybe <laughs> you're at the your your timing's perfect for right that's now right, that's right yeah because all of it comes back around yeah yeah and it's new and different it's new and different yeah new, yeah. yeah even like sly man sly family stone does big horns yeah big big, big horns yeah yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I haven't heard anything like it in a long time, and and it's it's totally its own thing. You're not, you know, draw. It's not drawing from anything, but it was just sort of like the whole presence, the presence of, of the, the horn band right. hasn't been around in a while. That's right. It's time. That's it's, what I'm saying. No, it's definitely time. <laughs> Hopefully, we lead in the pack so we could get some more. Yeah. So, but what is what do you do? Like, do you? Because I, I know you have some. Do you teach? Do you have a school? Do you have a foundation? What I have it? a foundation, and we have an academy that's a connected to the foundation. Oh yeah. So we, every Monday night in New Orleans uh, after school, we get a bunch of children and we teach them. Uh, I hire a lot of local musicians because I'm I'm always on the road, so I yeah. can't be there. So I'll drop in when I can. But we put some of the older musicians to well, people my age and a little older and younger 
to work to teach the kids. Yeah. So in the program, the not only do they lo- learn music, but they learn music business and mm-hmm. audio engineering. Oh wow! So at a young age. Uh, I wanted to make sure that those kids had all the tools and nothing was foreign to them. So when they, because let's be honest, some of them not going to continue to play music. Yeah. Some of them going to go into the music side of sure business. Or, that's okay. Yeah, and that's but it's all in an entertainment business. So we try to give them everything. That way, when when they become professionals. None of this is completely new to them, right? Because it's, it's good. There. It's a good option to not, you know, to uh, to integrate their understanding of what it takes to make music, yeah, at recorded music. Because, like, if somebody's not great or they they lose their steam as a musician, yeah, uh, they can at least say like, "Well, I, you know, I can put my talents in this other area," and it's still in the same arena. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So That's we wanted important. to give that give that to the kids. Yeah, because so you don't want we don't need any more bitter musicians around. <laughs> no, we don't need that at all. Please, <laughs> yeah, we got a lot, you know, plenty of those. Yeah, somebody told me they said, "You know how to." Uh, get a musician to complain. Yeah. I say how? They say give him a gig. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely experienced that with some people. I'm like, man, you know, <laughs> what are you? What are you yeah, I'm mean, working. You, yeah, you was at home just chilling. <laughs> now we on the thing. And okay, all right. Yeah, you know. then you understand why they don't get work. That's right. Yeah, yeah, but they don't understand. Of course not. Yeah, yeah. It was good talking to you, man. Same here, man. Thank Thanks. you for having me. Yeah. Trombone Shorty. That was exciting. I learned a lot, and I like that. It's I like learning about music. All right? that's And I like that guy. And I like the new record, Lifted, which is available tomorrow, uh, April 29th, wherever you get your music. Um, go to WTFPod.com slash tour for the dates. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the Walgreens because I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, and I want to go. Got to check out the Walgreens because I like Walgreens. That's what I do on the road, man. Let's go look at the uh, travel section. Travel section time. No uh, no music. Go listen to Trombone Shorty. Boomer lives! Monkey and LaFonda. Cat angels everywhere. Cat angels fucking everywhere, man.